Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Um, we are at the moment in week two of a three-week series which is entitled In Such a Way. Now if you weren't here uh, last week, don't worry, we record all our services so they're on YouTube if you want to catch up. I'm making a little plug here. They're on a, we do Apple Podcast as well, so you can listen to them at your leisure. We also have a church app, so you can even listen to it on the church app. Look at that. If you want to know more information, you can talk to me, and I'll help you with that. Um, so yes, as I said, we're in a series called In Such a Way, and it's taken from um, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's verses 24 to 27. And it will come up on the screen behind me. And he writes these words to them. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. There it is. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize." Now, Tyler opened us up last week, and he uh, shared on how when we run, if we're running a race, we run to win, don't we? We don't run to lose, although he loses games quite frequently, as he so shared, and really does not like that. I'm the same. <laughs> I don't like to lose a game. You play me. I am going all out for that win. Um, but in order to run to win, he, he highlighted how we must be focused on the prize, not walking aimlessly, as Paul states, but allowing our, you know, not allowing ourselves to become distracted, but understand we have a purpose in God. That should be our focal point. We should focus on that prize. We must also have dependence on God, understanding we need him in order to win. Power comes from him. It's not in our own strength. As the words in Zechariah uh, chapter 4, verse 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by God's spirit at work within us. We must also support one another. We're not lone rangers in this. This is the beauty about God's church. We can support one another. And we all are in need of support. If we're honest with ourselves, we can put our hands up and say, yeah, I need support. If we're on our own, we would lose our race. Inspiration is powerful. And we need others to help inspire us and motivate us to continue. Now, this week, I'm going to share another aspect from this passage. And Tyra and I, as we were sharing before about the the idea behind this and what we can draw out, there's one aspect that really just jumped out of me. And it's this idea when Paul says, I beat my body. How many of you wake up in the morning and you think, that's the first thing I'm going to do? You wake up, you say, right, first thing on the agenda, I'm going to beat my body. 
what does that look like? It's an analogy, it's a picture, it's an image that Paul is using to kind of make his point. And if you think about it, it's not actually a nice picture. I guess it depends on how hard you beat your body. Um, but it, it's an image that speaks many words. It raises questions, and I think it's good to ask questions of that which we're reading. When you read through Scripture, it's good to ask questions of it. So, of course, the questions I was asking is that, what does Paul feel? The, why does Paul feel the need to beat his body? Why is that? And what does it look like for each and every single one of us? What does it look like to me to actually beat my body? Obtaining the prize, running the race in such a way requires something of each and every one of us that we may not like, does not tend to come naturally, and can often be overlooked. And it's one word, and it begins with D, discipline. Now, when I look at words, like singular words, you can have faithfulness, you can have gentleness, you can have gratitude. In this instance, we've got discipline. I like to look it up, because I, there, are, there are many meanings that can come from a singular word. And just a few to share with you this morning. It's the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior, sometimes using punishment to correct behavior. Now, I, def I define this as authoritative discipline. For example, that could be in the workplace. I used to work for a company in retail, and they would have a practice that I would have to adhere to, rules to obey, the ways to conduct myself, the ways to speak, the ways to carry out my work. If I did not do that, then I would have to face discipline, whether that's a written letter word of warning or whether it was then to have a one-on-one -on -one with the manager. Again, do not do this, otherwise there's consequences. And if you did it again, it's a strike against your name, and that would affect me for any other job that I would go through following on. So as you would know, I never got a discipline. <laughs> That was enough for me. It was like, I'm going to follow. I'm a structured guy, so I'm going to follow the code to the letter. So it was, it was okay. Another definition is the controlled behavior resulting from training. I'll call this self-discipline. And that could apply in many different ways. For me, I would say one obvious thing. We've got students in the room. Um, uh, little plug there for IBTI and any YWAMers out here, I don't know. Um, studying requires discipline, right? I know this full well. I, had to, I studied a degree in Bible and theology, long distance, distance study. I wasn't at university. I did it through the church. And I had two days a week given to me to study. So when I came in, that was it. That was my job. Study. Do it. You, no excuses. I had to plan, I want to do my degree within a, a certain amount of time, so I was calculated how, much, how, how, long, how many modules I had to study within a year to do it in three years. It was 11 modules a year. Um, they give you six months to complete one module. I was studying four in four months. And I had to stick to it. It was hard. It, I had to create a discipline to continually study diligently to work at it. 
fortunately, I made it to the other side. Praise God. The final definition here is an activity that provides mental or physical training. Now, activity can mean many things. It could be such a simple thing as going for a daily walk to exercise. That's an activity, but if you do it long enough, it has an effect. You have a discipline of following through with something, it has a desired result. And so today we are looking at this thought of discipline. It unlocks certain key attributes that will enable us to reach the finish line with no regrets. That is the goal. Reach the finish line, but have no regrets. And so when we apply discipline to our lives, I'm going to just share a few thoughts of some things that we will see how it will outwork as we run our race. And the first is, it gives us the passion to pursue. In Psalm 84, verses 1 to 2, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. There's a powerful word right there. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. There's a passion right there. Passion to go after God. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had that passion. He had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and it transformed his life. Instead of walking against God, he would do anything in pursuit of him. He would go anywhere in pursuit of him. He had a passion and a seal for God. Nothing would stand against him. What we are aiming for sparks that internal passion to do whatever we can to obtain it. Tyler shared last week on how we must focus on the prize. When we have that discipline to keep our eyes fixed on that prize, it will build in us that passion to pursue it, no matter what. That's all we can think about. So much so, it's hard to stop the momentum. Have you ever met someone so passionate about something that they will not shut up? <laughs> have, you, have you had that? I know I have. You, you meet an avid football supporter about their team, they will not keep quiet. And the thing is, they're the greatest tacticians. They know it all, right? Or well, the manager should have done this, he should have done this, he did that wrong, he should have had this player. That player didn't play well, he should have done this. It's like... Obviously, you're an expert in the field. I'm surprised you're not even a manager of the team. You talk, you know, you talk to Tyler about motorbikes, his eyes widen, his, that smile comes onto his face. He, he just wants to preach to you about motorbikes. He, oh, it's a passion. Ben, if I talk about rugby to you, will that gauge your attention? You see, yeah, yeah. Italy had a, ma a major win over Wales. We were talking about it earlier. Giovanni's happy. <laughs> when we are passionate about something it is hard to hold it back and we see in the world many people have different passions and different things and I'm thinking when I think about God if we're passionate about God and passionate in our pursuit of God we shouldn't be able to be quiet about it it should flow out of our being you see footballers, and they, you see them down the street chanting the anthems of their club, 
And I'm thinking, what would it look like if we as believers went down the streets and we were singing the songs of God as our anthem? People would stop. People would listen. We're so passionate about God. If we can't stop it, we can't contain it. We should be that passionate in our pursuit of God. Our passion for that internal prize should consume every facet of our being. That passion to be the best that we can be for him. Are we, though, willing to get out the starting blocks? That's a question. Paul was speaking to believers here that are already believing in God, trusting in him, and we're already on that race, walking with God. And he was trying to encourage them to keep going. But this can be applied to many aspects of our lives. When we have to make changes, when we have to put in discipline, are we willing to get out of the starting blocks? Are we willing to go after it? See, that's often the problem I find personally as well, is that it can be quite difficult to start the race. I have never seen it where you see an athlete getting ready to run a race. He's on the starting blocks. They, they say, on your marks, set. The gun goes, and he doesn't set off. I've never seen an athlete win a prize for not starting. Right? What do the athletes do? They're ready, they're set, they go, and they're going to run for that line as hard as possible. The first one wanting to be the first one over it because they know that's the gold medal. That's the best prize. What would it look like if you saw on TV someone getting ready for a race? They're saying, on your marks, and you set, the klaxon goes, everyone goes bar one, and they come over to that one guy and say, congratulations, there's your medal. It's like he's not done anything. He's not even started the race. Are we willing to get out of the starting blocks? See, often we are the ones that hold ourselves back. I think of Peter, often think of Peter when he stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. But there was this unsure, he was unsure, wasn't he? He said, Jesus, if that's you, ask me to come to you and I will come. He wasn't certain. And even when Jesus said, come to him, he he started walking, which was bold, but then he looked away. He looked at his situation. There are so many uncertainties in this life, and sometimes that feeling of being unsure can hold us back. We see the prize. We know how good it is. We, that passion builds up, but then we suppress it because we're unsure. We are encouraged to fix our eyes on God. And when we fix our eyes on the prize, when we see how good it is, we will throw off all inhibitions and just go after it. We read that in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. An example I find is new believers. I think we've all been there. When we have that encounter with God, it transforms us. 
It's like, wow, I want more. Give me more. And they cannot stop. Yeah, you can't shut them up, can you? They're like, give me more. Give me more. I want more. And they're so passionate in their walk with God. But then, as they continue, year upon year, they realize the Christian walk is not so easy as it looks. It's difficult. There are challenges. And when the going gets tough, the passion can fade. That's why discipline is important. To keep your eyes fixed on God no matter what. To allow that passion to overflow, not suppress it. And when we have discipline, when those difficulties arise, it leads us to our second thing. It gives us that fervor to fight. That fervor to fight. This is another word for fervor is enthusiastic diligence. I like that. Enthusiastic diligence. Diligently follow God enthusiastically. I like that. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Discipline, when it's applied to our lives and to our race for God, develops this fervor to fight, this fervor to battle on, this fervor to persevere, to strive to be better. No matter what comes in our way, we are going to press on because we know how good that prize is. To not settle for where we are, but to just keep on going. Sometimes that's all it takes. That fervor to just keep on going. That's why Paul himself, in his letter to the church in Philippi, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on towards it. That's my focus. That's my goal. And I'm going to fight for it. And I'm going to keep on going. Now, an example of this. I had a friend when I was younger. Still a friend, distant friend. Um, he was very, very good at sports. Now, I'm not bad at sport myself. Now, I used to play tennis a lot when I was younger. And he was really good at it. And we would play sometimes, and he would, for some reason, I don't know why, he would get some joy out of beating me, six love, six love, every single time. <laughs> I would struggle to win even a single point, and he, was, he wasn't even breaking a sweat, and he was having a well of a time, wasn't he? And it used to annoy me so much. And it, but it didn't make me want to give up tennis. No, I loved this sport, so I wanted to keep on going. And when I went to college, they had this side program called Tennis Development. I was like, brilliant, let me do that. You go to your, the local tennis club and you get training. You play tennis matches for representing the college, but you also get personal training. And I thought, this is what I need. So I, I did that. Unfortunately, my friend went to the same college and did the same program. <laughs> So, of course, while I was training to be better, he was also training to be even better. <laughs> Can't win. 
college would come and go, and yes, I was still losing six love, six love. And he went off to university and other things, and you know, we parted ways there because life takes us in different directions. And I stayed at the tennis club. And they said to me, why don't you train to be a tennis coach? I said, sure. Why not? It's more training. Why not? He said, I thought, is that like an underarm way of saying you can't play well, but maybe you can coach well? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, what, what I did, I did two levels of training. So even though I'm not doing it now, I do have the qualification as an LTA level two tennis coach. Just saying. <laughs> Just put my, putting that in my CV. There you go. On the side, I was also getting one-on-one -on -one coaching with a one-on-one -on -one session with a tennis coach that was a level four, someone that was ahead of me, training me to be better. The years go by, and I re we, my friend, we reconnected and everything. He said, why don't we play a game of tennis? Why don't we play a game of tennis? So we did. Now, hear me out. I did lose the first set, but I lost it 6-4. Now, for me, that was a win. Right? He would beat me six love, six love in 45 minutes. We had been playing for over an hour and done one set, and it was six four. I was thinking, I'm ready for the second set. I'm going I'm, I'm to win this. I was one nil up in the first game. And then I see my friend over the net do this. He's like, I'm feeling a bit dizzy. Do you mind if we stop? Yes, get in there. It was like, he had not gone there expecting to play for over an hour and still have one set. Even though he was winning, he was like, I can't go on. That, for me, that was a win. And it shows that all that years of time and effort, of diligence, of fighting, of passionately pursuing, pursuing that, I saw the result. Uh -huh. I couldn't do that now. <laughs> I haven't played tennis in a while, but... <laughs> Discipline, when it's applied, it produces fruit in the long run. But we have to be willing to persevere, to put in the training, the effort and time, despite how difficult it may be. So how does it look like for us? Some, we may, some of us may struggle to really get into the word. You know, we can be overly ambitious. When I started, I started with a verse. I built it up. Now I'm reading a chapter a day. Do what you need to do. Build in that discipline. Sometimes it can be prayer. I struggle to pray. Well, Jesus gives us a simple prayer that we can follow as a guide. But you don't have to have long words. You can just... Simple is often better. God knows our hearts. Maybe it's putting in good practices instead of bad practices? How much time are we looking at the TV, browsing social media? Maybe we can be thankful rather than complaining, worrying less, speaking positively instead of speaking negatively, encouraging one another instead of putting people down, maybe unintentionally. It's the discipline to put in the right practices that will produce the right fruit. Now, the final thing, which I think is the most challenging, is when we have discipline in our lives, it, it brings us to that place to surrender 
to see transformation. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? That word, deny himself, can often be overlooked. And this is an area where, if we're honest, I think we can all struggle with. I know I have. It's not just for those who don't believe, it's those in the church. We can struggle to deny ourselves. Without discipline, without beating our bodies into submission, we can be tempted to lean on compromise than on complete sincere surrender. I looked up this definition, or this explanation, should I say, of what does it mean to deny ourselves? And it says, self-denial, as Jesus taught it, does not involve denying oneself things. For example, dessert or ice cream. Praise God. <laughs> Those who know me, I have a sweet too. So it, it does not involve denying oneself things like dessert or ice cream or even legitimate forms of entertainment as much as it involves denying one's own authority over his or her life. To deny oneself means in every moment of life to say no to self and yes to God. His way is higher than our way. Now, to be very vulnerable in this moment and transparent with the church, there's one aspect in my life where I have to constantly check that I'm denying myself, doing it right and faithfully. And it's in the area of relationships. I know it's, it's something that's I haven't heard it spoken of a lot, so I want to take the opportunity to speak about it. Um, I think we're all born with that desire for companionship. We are a church. We can't do it alone. We need each other. But also in our own lives, companionship is often a desire and sought-after thing. And I know in myself, I've desired that. I still do. But then... It, I found that the challenge is I've been led to compromise my relationship with God. And that's where it's dangerous. Trying to find the right words. I've had to learn over the years what's more important. Is it my desire for one thing or is it my relationship with God? If If my desire for companionship, if that person doesn't push me towards God, then it's not worth it. And over the years, I've had to make that difficult decision to say, no, this is not right, because it's pulling me away from God. Or someone else has said to me, no, because they, for whatever reason, it wasn't right, and that's okay. It can become all too easy to want and to live for and strive for that which is temporary rather than that which is eternal. And that's a lesson, not just in this example of relationship, that we have to apply to all areas of our life. Is it a temporary goal or are we sowing into that which is eternal? 
Are we running that race for that internal goal or a temporary goal? The world yearns for instant gratification. Instant gratification. And even with strict training, we can miss the mark. Paul says that. I, I don't swing and it's like beating the air. No, he's landing his punches. We, even with strict training, we can miss the mark. Yet if we have the discipline to surrender what we think we need or want, we will over time see the benefits and longevity of such a decision because we'll be transformed into his likeness. That's a goal, isn't it? Transformed into the image of God. One final just example to share with everybody before I close is some, unless you're really observant or unless I've told you, you may not be aware that I'm currently wearing braces. I've been wearing braces for the last nine weeks, but they're Invisalign. <laughs> so the truth is in the name. They're meant to be invisible. Um, now, when I was younger, I had the habit of sucking my thumb to bring me comfort, as all children do. Children grow out of it. I took longer to grow out of it. So much so that it had an effect. I pushed my teeth forward into a point. And also the bottom of my teeth became misaligned and crowded. Now, unfortunately, like my parents blessed and they went to the dentist, we went to see people when I was younger, they couldn't afford to any of the changes. So they said, Tom, sorry, Tom, you're going to have to live with it. As a kid, I was like, well, it's fine. I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's fine. I don't care. As I've got older, I've seen the effect of a habit that I couldn't grow out of. So much so that even though people say, oh, you got, we love it when you smile. Like my parents are like, we don't notice it. I see it in every single photo, in every single picture. I see what I don't like. I see the result of a habit that I wasn't able to break soon enough. And so I've now, I'm on this program to get my teeth straight and aligned and everything. It'd be the first time that I've seen my teeth straight ever. I can't remember when they were straight, which is amazing. I can't wait. You won't be able to stop me smiling. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> but the thing is, this requires discipline. I have to keep these in for 22 hours a day. So I only have to take them out when I'm eating my meals. Now, for somebody that likes to snack, as you can tell, <laughs> so someone that likes tea and coffee throughout the day, I can't do that. I can only have it when I'm having my meals. Then I've got to clean, put them in, and only have water. It is a discipline to see it through. And I have to change my way of thinking and make it a habit. You make a discipline a habit, you'll see the result. I've only got 12 weeks left to go, and I can't wait. <laughs> see, when we look at what Paul was saying, he was encouraging the believers to just keep going, fix your eyes on God. Don't become stagnant. Run the race. Run it passionately. Pursue God. Fight but be willing to surrender, deny yourself what you think you need and trust God because he knows what you need. And I look forward and I pray for each one of us in this place and those that may not be here and listen later on that we will 
be at that point where we can say the very words of Paul that he, that he wrote to Timothy, where he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I pray for each one of us, and I desire that for myself, that I can reach that finish line and say, I've got no regrets. I've run my race, and I've run it well. I, you know, I fought. I fought that good fight. I battled on. I passionately pursued God. I've denied myself. I surrendered to his way, and now I can see the result. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing for each and every one of us? Thank you for watching this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at or check out our website at www.centre-church.uk.